Without them, I wouldn't know where I would be. And outside of the group, I'm a really shy person. And it gives me the opportunity to be who I want to be and to show people who my ancestors are. Recently, I started doing the mask dances. So when I put my mask on for the first time, I had this adrenaline going through me and I was so nervous. And I wasn't too sure if I could get through it or not. And I just like, didn't really have time to worry about it, but I just had all these feelings like, wow, I'm doing this in front of all these people. I was just so nervous, but all of a sudden I got through it because I had John, my husband, beside me, and I have family, and I have the group that's all so supportive. So when I'm out there, I feel, I feel like somebody special. my sister and I stepped away from the group for a while and when I came back my first my first dance back it was the Northwind and it felt like it felt like it just blew my pain away a healthy family because we do the communicating that is involved whether it's um you know positive or not we still talk about even though sometimes it might be hard to talk about i never knew anything about my culture or anything until i met up with the get high x and i have come a long way i'm learning my language all the traditions that i never knew before we weren't taught until we came to this group and then we learned, I learned, and the kids learned, my grandkids and my daughters. And it really meant an awful lot to us. and you are listening to The Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM. Arts Report for September 26, 2012. Today, we are talking Brief Encounters, The Master, Frankenstein, and we're talking with Woody Morrison. <laughs> but first up on the Arts Report today, we have our UBC Arts Report, which is the bi-weekly report 
on what's happening arts-wise at UBC with student executive member extraordinaire and arts intern Nicole Kai. Welcome back to the show, Nicole. Hi. Um, And you are going to tell us about The Duchess, a.k.a. Wallace Simpson by Theater UBC. And I want everyone to take note. Listen carefully, because if if uh, if this show sounds interesting to you, and I know Nicole really liked it, you can call us for tickets at 604-822-2487. Nicole, please, please take it away. Okay. So, um, The Duchess, uh, a.k.a. Wallace Simpson, is a play written by Canadian playwright Linda Griffiths. And she is a playwright that's produced many, many critically acclaimed works. And so basically, the play tells the fascinating story of Wallace Simpson, also known as the Duchess of Windsor, the woman that um, King Edward VIII abdicated his throne to marry. So at the time of the King's proposal, Wallace had already been married twice, and the Church of England did not permit the remarriage of divorced people with living ex-spouses, and that caused the constitutional crisis as the King was supposed to be in communion with the Church of England. So, but... The play is mainly about the journey of Wallace Simpson and how she came to be the woman that captured the hearts of many people, including the king and the audience. Um, Through her brutal honesty in her ambitions, her kind heart towards the people, and her brave and unique vision as a woman in a society that was still dominated by men, as, as well as her ubiquitous presence as an extremely um, character, charismatic person overall. And in fact, she was often described to be the Yoko Ono of the England <laughs> in the 1930s. So if I were to describe this play in two words, I would call it a true play because not only is it based on a true story, it's extremely witty and playful. And actually... Probably outrageously funny would be a better way to describe it. And that suits the play's protagonist. Um, It plays on the historical context. It plays on the concept of a conservative monarchy. It plays on the uh, many of the political ideologies back in the era of the 20s and 30s that were um, considered acceptable and mainstream. There were jokes about the Nazis. Um, it plays on the courtships between Wallace and her admirers. And finally, it mocks the idea of an ideal woman in the traditional sense. Um, there is a heavy element of magic realism, which I found was fantastic. Um, the costumes were extravagant. And um, although there were, I'd have to say, there were some ethnic representations that I wasn't totally crazy about. Now, but do you oh, think do you think that's because of the the time that it's set perhaps. in? Perhaps, yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe not handled as well in, yeah. in our present times as it, yeah, okay, yeah, which is also pretty funny. <laughs> and overall, um, it is an ex- entirely exhilarating experience. In fact, I remember very few moments where the audience wasn't laughing to tears um so it is directed by sarah rogers um an alumna of ubc and um, it features 10 bfa acting students in their final year they play 25 characters Mm -hmm. um the creative team also includes uh bfa design graduates and students as well as bfa production students 
So um, the play is the Duchess, aka Wallace Simpson, is playing at the Talos Studio Theater, which is located inside the beautiful Chan Center on <laughs> UBC campus. It is actually quite beautiful. That's not it's, just a tagline. Yeah, it is <laughs> really nice. Um, every night at seven thirty until October sixth, which is next Saturday, except for next Monday and Tuesday. And I highly recommend that you go see it before you miss it. And if you um, are interested in more information or buy t- buying tickets, you can go to the website www.theater.ubc.ca slash duchess. Um, if you're a student, the tickets are only $10. Um, in fact, the show is actually sold out today and tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So that goes to show the popularity. And we have two tickets as we've said it in the beginning, to give away for um, either this Saturday or the next week. And you can get those tickets if you just call in at 604-822-2487. And, yep. Oh, and... Yeah, and the other thing we're going to do, if you hear me typing away there, is I'm going to sign into Twitter. And, oh, you know what? We're getting a call. Um, So uh, why don't... uh, Hey, Nicole, why don't you... uh, Tell us a little bit more about some of the observations for the play, and I will answer that call. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, well, um, so... CITR. Um, as I've said, um, the 25 characters are played by 10 uh, students, and um, it is quite funny when... Um, someone who's played one character comes back on to play another character and they're a complete different person and what they say may be completely contradictory but um, you know that they're another character and it's just the nature of it but I found that pretty funny as well. You know, a lot of people uh, only know about Wallace Simpson as a fallen woman. They don't really know much about her. And when you go back to that period in time, it's not too actually that far away from Queen Victoria. Mm-hmm. So they had very Victorian attitudes. And the other thing people don't realize is that well, I was reading this French orator in the, back in the 17th century. He made a comment. He said the English are a very curious breed who have never been ruled by one of their own. So the king's first cousin was Kaiser Wilhelm. In Germany, so there were a lot of um, a lot of rumors, and I guess there's actually factually uh, factual evidence of his having collaborated with Adolf Hitler. So you know they were making jokes about about, about the Nazis, which was a National Socialistic Party, and at the time it was also completely okay to be communist because see, well, communism actually came out of the Industrial Revolution there in England. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Exactly. That's exactly um, true. And um, I think um, on the website also, um, the director was saying how um, she was raised in a British family, and <laughs> in awesome. her Thank household, so really um, Wallace Simpson was al- al- always described a as a ambitious woman pursuing after the cane just for the wealth. And when she directed this play, it was very refreshing for her as well. Yeah, well, it, she was referred to as a gold digger. 
<laughs> <laughs> to be fair, if you're gonna dig for gold, she shot high, which gold? I respect. No, no you go <laughs> for the deep pockets. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you know what? Uh, that must have been a pretty good review, Nicole, because we've already given away those tickets. Uh, Jennifer Bork, who is listening in a parking lot right now. So shout out to Jennifer. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, she'll get some tickets for the Duchess. And you know what? As $10 for students, um, how much for non-students? I think... 20-something? 20-something. Still a good deal. Is going to be lots of fun. Um, And one more thing before. Yeah, Nicole has an announcement, I believe. Um, So there is a new exhibition at the Morris and Helen Balkan Art Gallery, also on UBC campus. Um, It's called State of Mind, New California Art, circa 1970. It starts on this Friday, and it goes until December 9th. And there will be a curator's curators talk on this Saturday um, from 1.30 to 3 p.m. It's basically about conceptual art and related avant-garde activities from the 60s and 70s in California, and admission is free, so make sure you check it out. That sounds great. Thanks so much, Nicole. Yep. Have a great day. Thanks for joining us on the Art Support, and she will be back on the 10th to tell us more things that's happening around the campus. And you know what? Just because those tickets got snapped up so quickly, I thought I'd give you guys another chance to uh, see something for uh, for free, um, and that will be later in the show for Brief Encounters, so stick around for that. Um, I wanted to make a, another announcement of a kind of a cool event that's coming up. It's called... Teen Angst. Now, this is from friend of the show, Sarah Bino. She organizes the Say events, um, which we've reviewed before. And it's on Monday, October 1st. Tickets are 5 to 10 bucks, sliding scale. It's at the Havana Theater from 8 to 10 p.m. And it's people reading uh, their poetry and journals and short stories from when they were a teenager. You know, I went to University of Washington in 1959. Uh, and there, this was a period of what were called the, uh, the, the, uh, the beatniks. And this was the beat generation. Many of them were, um, I forget what they call them now. But anyway, there was a little place under the university bridge called the Robin's Nest. And I used to go there once in a while. And it had a, a, a small room, maybe, oh, 20 feet by... 20 feet something it was I don't remember but it was very dark they had black curtains or drapes on the walls so it made it dark and used to just a small baby spot and someone reading poetry and someone playing a flute and the coffee then you know you know these little cups uh, <laughs> uh, what, what do you call it take a shot of oh, like the espresso the espresso yeah a cup of coffee one of those little things at the time was 50 cents for one of those when a cup of coffee used to be a nickel. And you could get as many refills as you wanted, but that coffee to me was awful and the poetry was worse. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what? Uh, It's supposed to be bad. That's why this night is so fun. Now, I'm going to play you an excerpt. Now, these actually come from all over the world. They have little places, um, little nights all over the world. And this is Sarah Bino reading her poem about a very special figure from 1994 and London in 2009. And with that, I'm going to share a poem written April 12th, 
1994. <laughs> That's right. It's called To Kurt. <laughs> Why suicide? Someone else should have died. Someone's nodding their head. Totally! Someone else! Anyone else! Did you think ahead? Did you know the impacts of your being dead? You're selfish and dead. Because you put a bullet in your head. But in our hearts you will remain. But my feelings for you will never be the same. Our questions unanswered. The answers are gone. Never to be asked. Never to understand the uncomprehendable note you left behind. <laughs> you said you loved us. How so? <laughs> it's a shame. A rotten shame. It's done and over. Move on. Show's over. Peace, love, empathy. <laughs> so that was Sarah Bino, uh, an amazing poem about Kurt Cobain from 1994. Uh, just she's just a young buck at the time. Um, so if you are interested in checking out that event, uh, because we are talking about storytelling today. Um, and we have uh, Woody Morrison in studio, who is president of the Vancouver Society of Storytelling, mm-hmm. and as well as many other uh, groups. And he is a respected Haida storyteller, uh, and he actually has uh, a class talking about uh, Haida language. Yeah, the culture the language. Gallery. Yeah. So we talk about the history, the language, the culture. <clears throat> I don't know enough of the language to teach anyone. To to speak the language. So what I try to do is to give them a cultural context for, for understanding that if you do speak the, learn to speak the language, you'll know what you're talking about. Um, for example, one of the things we talk about is the concept of time, which is a little bit different from the European version. We're told here that the past is behind me. Mm-hmm. But in Haida and, and also, I know it's the same in Maori and in some of the other Aboriginal languages, is that the past is in front of me. So when I want to say something happened a long time ago, means it's way over there, I can see it. So it's sort of like you're sitting in a river and time is coming from behind you. And as things come into view, you have to deal with right at that moment because it will never be there again. And sometimes, like you're sitting in a river, something comes floating down the river, gets caught in the back eighty, and slams you in the face. Well, that's a traumatic experience. But if you put it behind you, it's going to hit you in the face again. <laughs> so you have to learn to let it go. And you watch to see where it fits into your history. And then sometimes things begin to make sense. So it's a little bit different, and so that's the way it is with all of life. All your experiences, everything, if you keep them in front of you, you can use them anytime you want. But today, experience is becoming that little gadget in your hand there that you keep looking at. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you know what? We don't, I don't have to look at it anymore because uh, we are going to take a break. When we come back, we are going to have a couple of reviews from yours truly. And then we will be able to luxuriate a little bit in the presence of uh, Mr. Morrison and Lizzie Carp, who has just arrived. Who I, That's why I was looking at my device. So, uh, yeah, please stay tuned for uh, two reviews of 
of The Master by Paul Thomas Anderson and Frankenstein, which is happening at the Vancouver International Film Festival, as well as an interview with Isolde and Baron from Brief Encounters and some tickets to Brief Encounters 18 at the Playhouse. See you on the other side. Want to know what's up at UBC? Read the UBC. It's only the largest student newspaper in Western Canada, and it's written and edited entirely by UBC students. The UBC is your source for on-campus news, culture, and sports. New editions come out every Monday and Thursday. For breaking news, as well as amazing videos and blogs, check out ubc.ca. Lost in a sea of disarrayed souls, complying to the norm, refusing to be swallowed, thrown into Word on the fire. Street, Vancouver's annual no. festival celebrating Jumping reading and the printed the word is returning for its 18th will, year. At the downtown library square from Friday, September 28th to Sunday, September 30th, you can participate in workshops, check out hundreds of exhibitors, and see readings from acclaimed authors like Annabelle Lyon, Kevin Chong, and William Patrick Kinsella. And be sure to become a member of the Vancouver Book and Magazine Fair Society for a chance to win a Word on the Street Library, featuring a copy of nearly every book at the festival. For a full rundown of the schedule and authors, go to www.thewordonthestreet.ca. Storybook. People, people who need people are the luckiest people in the world. And that's why I'm lucky to have two people in the studio with me right now um and they are gonna hang out while i give you some info about um the master that i saw on monday are you guys familiar with paul thomas anderson lizzie or or woody well no but i have seen the preview for this movie and it looks fantastic so paul thomas anderson releases a movie every like four or five years um just long enough for you to kind of forget about him so that it's all very fresh and new. I think it's a great strategy. Um, and he's tackled a lot of subject matter from uh, self-help gurus to 1970s porn to the oil fields of early America. He does, however, always come back to the relationship between an older kind of unstable man and a young man, often also unstable, who wants to prove that older gentleman, uh, you know, proud. And I love his movies. It really focuses a lot on masculinity and the various uh, forms that masculinity can take. So in The Master, we have Joaquin Phoenix um, playing a a drunken sailor on shore leave. and he's well, not actually from shore leave. I won't dismiss it so so thoroughly. Um, so he's back from the war. Uh, he has uh, some psychological trauma that is not necessarily uh, just the war, but rather his whole life. He's uh, physically uh, deformed to a, a slight degree, and he is mentally deformed to an extreme degree. Uh, he creates concoctions uh, from paint thinner and such, and drinks it and gives it to people, and he's living a wild and unstable life, and he stumbles into the social circle of the master, played by Philip Seymour Hoffman, uh, who is a staple in Paul Thomas Anderson's Movies, and he uh, he plays uh, Dodd, who some say is a stand-in for Elron Hubbard. 
yes, some people have been calling this the Scientology movie. Um, and there is a article on uh, Slate.com on how much Scientology made it into The Master. And it's a lot of it. Um, basically, uh, the movie is a sober, like it's not flippant, um, but it's a, it's a studied case of a, basically a cult leader. And uh, doesn't do a lot of questioning as to the actual uh, legitimacy of the beliefs of the cult leader, but rather looks at the way that the, that person engenders respect and control uh, and uh, connection with the circle that he uh, cultifies. But I would like to focus just in this review just briefly on the performance of Joaquin Phoenix because he kind of disappeared at one point. Uh, he had a um, I'm Not Here was a film about him and his quote unquote, you can't see this because it's radio, but the quote unquote breakdown that he had. And I don't know whether it was all a big plan. If it was, it was genius. So he's back. One of the things that Paul Thomas Anderson does really well is he takes what may be considered either in the public or um, the entertainment industry about a certain person, certain actor, and doesn't take advantage of it, but rather inspects it. They don't try to hide it. He doesn't try to put it away. He brings it very much to the forefront. Uh, With uh, Boogie Nights, it was Mark Wahlberg's... um, pretty boy, dumb boy, underwear model persona. With Punch Drunk Love, it was Adam Sandler's uh, apparent rage issues and also the way where if Adam Sandler is stripped away of kind of his goofy humor, there's a dark person underneath. Um, You got Daniel Day-Lewis and There Will Be Blood with his scenery eating, which is used to amazing effect. And then here we have Philip Seymour Hoffman's Gravitas and Joaquin Phoenix's not just physical... Uh, ailments. He has a bit of a, a slouch, uh, a hunch, and a, a bit of a, a lazy, and I mean that not in a derogatory way, but a bit of a, a, a side of his face is a little is a little looser than the other. And he really emphasizes that to really emphasize uh, what's going on inside Joaquin Phoenix's character, um, Frank Quill, Freddie Quill. So uh, I saw this on Monday. It should be opening in theaters uh, this week in Canada, and it is another Paul Thomas Anderson uh, masterpiece. I would say, if you are familiar with his work, that I would put it on the Magnolia scale. Um, I don't know if he'll be able to pull another There Will Be Blood out, but I I very much enjoyed it, and if you are interested at all in the cult of personality in any way, uh, it is an excellent watch. So check that out. And I will fully admit to being completely biased. Uh, I love him. Um, I actually went to see it with one of our arts correspondents, Ariel Fournier. And she uh, actually has just finished a story uh, at the Taiyi on the Moonies. Um, Their leader has just uh, passed away. And she... uh, says that the more that she thought about it, the parallels are definitely there between the Master and Scientology. And... It emerged uh, in the 1950s based on self-help books. That's in the play. Uh, that's in the movie. It warned against the evil of psychology. That's in the that's in the movie. And uh, it especially uh, takes the and elements of cult behavior. So check out her Waning of the Moonies article and check out the Slate article if you want a little more information on the release. It's been out in the States for a little longer than here, so there's a little more American journalism involved. 
Another film that we got to see recently was Frankenstein, A Modern Myth. And Discorder is sponsoring this at VIF. It is running September 28th, October 3rd, and October 5th at Empire Granville Cinemas. And it is the story of the reworking of Frankenstein for the National Theatre by Danny Boyle. Uh, and Adam Lowe is the uh, director, and he takes us backstage and explores why Mary Shelley's horror story still is relevant today. And it is. Uh, I've actually never read all Frankenstein all the way through. Have, Lizzie, have you have you ever read it, Woody? Um, six, seven years ago. Yeah. And yeah. And, and how did you enjoy the the text? It 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 was classic. <laughs> it was it, yeah. So it's it, it always struck me as very ponderous and like why bother reading the book when you have all these great. Movies. That being said, no one's ever really captured it. And one of the things that you get to see in this is a modern adaptation of the movie, uh, of the uh, of the book into a play and now into this documentary, so multiple levels. And it is uh, in the National Theatre. It's done in the round. They take a lot of really contemporary art uh, motifs and they, they make it all about Frankenstein's monster. And they, it's a, uh, I forget who the second actor, but one of the two actors is, is Benedict Cumberbatch Ooh. from Sherlock. I like him. And uh, Downton Abbey. And he is amazing. Um, the most English name ever invented. And he uh, and the other character, they switch back and forth, which is becoming this really cool convention that people are doing in modern theater. And just to highlight the connection. So you get to see a lot of that really excellently done play. And one of the things that people forget if they haven't read it is that the monster is actually quite well spoken. Um, he speaks about his loneliness and his uh, humanity and lack of humanity uh, and his lack of connection. And it's all about connection. But it's also about genetic testing. It was way ahead of its time in terms of religious views, in terms of science uh, that was embedded into the text. And it was questioning a lot of ideas about creation, about God, about relationships, um, and about uh, kind of paternalism in a way. So I found it really, really interesting and... Uh, a text for our times is what they argue in the documentary. So it actually made me want to read a book from the 18th century. So A plus to you, Frankenstein, a modern myth. Um, that is sponsored by Discorder, uh, September 28th, October 3rd, and October 5th. And uh, we CITR is also sponsoring Cartoon College, which uh, there will be a review by yours truly in the upcoming Discorder coming out next week. So please uh, check out as many films as you can at VIF because there's an amazing variety and we'll have more on the Vancouver International Film Festival next week. Okay, and we have uh, a interview with Isolde and Baron or Cameron McKenzie and it's not just because I love talking to Isolde and Baron but rather she is one of the pairings at the Tomorrow uh, Collective Brief Encounters 18. And Brief Encounters, uh, this is the 18th edition, and 12 artists representing multiple genres get two weeks to create an interdisciplinary act. So they don't know who they're going to be with until two weeks before the show. The pairings this time around are a shadow puppeteer, Chloe Z, and astrophysicist, astrophysicist Jamie Matthews, filmmaker Kate Kroll, and dance artist Kat Singledang. 
dance artist James Nam and visual artist Patrick Cruz, who is an actual excellent Vancouver visual artist. You can uh, Google him. Actor Jeff Gladstone, who's recently at The Fringe, along with DIY media producer Laura Lee Schultz, who's getting some great press lately. And hip-hop artist Oz12 with jazz vocalist Jennifer Scott and Queen of East Van and theater artist and runner of ZZ Theater is Olden Baron with humorist Sam Mullins, who recently finished Week Sauce at The Fringe, and we actually talked to him last week. Brief Encounters 18 runs September 27th to 29th at Performance Works on Granville Island, uh... Tickets are 22 bucks and 25 bucks at the door. And you can check all the information at briefencounters.ca. Uh, actually, it almost didn't happen uh, this year. It was planned for April 2012. Um, and they did fundraising and mini shows at things like Dance All Sorts and Neanderthal Festival. Um, but it almost didn't happen. And now because of all the support that they got through those various mini shows, they are able to bring it to you this year instead of next and I thought what I would do is give you a little taste of what Isolde and Baron went through with Sam Mullins and uh, how she approaches the theater. Now, if you are interested in checking out this very cool night, uh, I will not be able to go. But you know who might be able to go? You. Uh, you can call us at 604-822-2487 for free tickets. So here is Isolde and Baron, a.k.a. Cameron McKenzie. And she told us that uh, she got together with uh, Tomorrow Collective through a work she did with the Queer Film Fest, which was pairing individual performance with short films. And uh, she will also uh, be touring and doing a bunch of theater stuff coming up. And we'll talk about that after you meet the amazing Isolde and Baron. Fabulous. Excellent. Well, I am so excited, as is Olden Baron, to speak to you about my brief encounter with Sam Mullen. You are a performer and comedian extraordinaire in East Van. <laughs> Thank you. So what what are you and Sam going to be working on together? Well, I mean, I come from a theater background to begin with. I run a theater company, ZZ Theater, um, and I'm a director, and, and I work. Story is, is always what I, I focus on the most. Um, and, and with drag, I've, I've tried to, to let my sort of uh, theater aesthetic come through often. So my shows are, you know, uh, ha- have a bit more of a, of a uh, look to them and a bit more of a, of a story sometimes. Um, and so I was paired with Sam Mullins, a fantastic storyteller. So I thought, well, this is just incredible. Um, we, we both are, you know... From, from theater backgrounds, and we both do sort of the stand-up-y kind of comedic shtick, and we, we both like to make people think and to bear all and make them laugh and cry a bit. So uh, right from the get-go, Sam and I just were on the same page. And what's ironic is that he's a straight man who's obsessed with drag queens, so it just ended <laughs> up being really convenient for us. All the best so, straight men are. <laughs> right? So um, we literally have created a show based on that that one little moment of him going ah, I love drag queens can I sleep with them <laughs> mm, I don't know so we, we're exploring that that sort of you know 7% of him that that's gay that, that you know maybe he might you know go there um, that's with, funny with the drag queen yeah I've, um, I, we actually talked to Sam last week um, nice. about weeks off and uh-huh. I know that he's 
uh, you know, he's kind of a, a solo storyteller, um, very unadorned, where yeah. adornment is kind of the best part of drag. Can you tell me a little bit about some of the differences that you think that this pairing is, um, why it's unusual and unique? Um, I don't, I don't actually think it is unusual or okay. unique. I think, I think we both are, are coming to the stage with ourselves and we are existing simultaneously. Um, Sam tells really beautiful, simple stories, and this is a really beautiful, simple story that happens as opposed to simply him telling it. He now has the visual effect of Isolde and Baron on stage, and so he talks about me, he talks with me, he talks at me, um, you know, we enact some scenarios that, that he's trying to figure out, you know, how he would feel about having sex with a drag queen with Isolde and Baron, how that would work. Um, it sounds like you've, you're kind of in and outside of his own mind. Exactly, exactly. The piece is very much in his mind, and Isolde exists uh, in, you know, my natural state. I, I come out, I do a, a couple numbers that are me and, and, and true to me, and then for, for the rest of it, I'm really... A, not a figment of his imagination. I'm really haunting him almost. I'm, I'm testing him and pushing him and, and, and driving him uh, to madness a little bit. Just for people who don't know you... Um, I don't everybody knows. I want, I want the inside scoop on Isolde and Baron's um, philosophy de teatro or, you know, you, you, how you come at a performance and prepare for a performance. It always comes from... from uh, my script and whatever that script happens to be it always comes from either the words that I'm following if I'm doing acid queen well you know you hear the emotion in the words you hear the story that she's talking about in the words and and it always comes down to me trying to embody as absolutely fully as possible the song so if she is bellowing I have to bellow and my body has to follow and it has to look like I am actually re I am actually saying these words for me it's it's about the the full illusion of it um and that, that, that's what I, I mean, I do that with, with all my art form. If I'm working, if I'm directing a play, then, then I feel something when I read the script and I'm trying to evoke that feeling by making the actors do what I'm feeling uh, and, and bring that to the audiences so they feel the profound uh, experience that I'm going through. Um, it, it always comes down to, to recreating this, this, uh, this sensation, this experience. Um, based on 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 a quote unquote script. So, like I said, if it's if it's an actual script for a, for a play, or whether it's an, uh, a song that I'm using as my quote unquote script. And that was Cameron McKenzie, aka Isolde and Baron, and she will be performing at the Brief Encounters 18, put on by the Tomorrow Collective, uh, and they will be performing uh, this weekend. Uh, September 27th to 28th at Performance Works. So uh, tickets are available in advance at briefencounters.ca, 22 bucks and 25 bucks on at the door. It's a little cheaper if you're a member. But if you want them for free, you can give me a call at 604-822-2487. Um, there's some really amazing combinations. Um, and I think seeing... Sam Mullins, who is an excellent storyteller and humorous, imagine as old and barren as a uh, sounds fantastic. Um, we 
also can check out uh, Is Old and Barren in ZZ Theatre. This is their first multi-show season. They've had four seasons of a single show. They will be doing a reading of John Logan's Never the Sinner at the Carousel Theatre in November, and then a remount of My Funny Valentine in February, of course, and then another reading uh, by David DeVoe, a.k.a. Peach Cabla, uh, at the spring, uh, which will be lowest common denominator. And they have the launch party on October 19th uh, at 1181. Uh, so, you know, check all that out at zztheater.ca and check out uh, Is Old and Peach at Apocalyptic every long weekend um, before they go on tour this fall. So we are going to take uh, a brief break uh, after the brief encounters. Uh, feel free to call in or uh you know, uh, you can direct message us on Twitter at twitter.com uh, slash CITR underscore arts report. And we will be back in a few minutes with the lovely Lizzie Carp and the inestimable Woody Morrison. Please stay tuned. How much do you know about bikes? Everything? Perfect. Nothing at all? Even better. At the UBC Bike Kitchen, you can use our space and tools to do your own bike maintenance, get one-on-one instruction on how to fix your bike yourself, or drop your bike off for us to repair. You can also buy a fully refurbished, guaranteed used bicycle, or a variety of new and used parts and accessories. The Bike Kitchen is UBC's non-profit, student-owned, full-service bike shop. We're located in the basement of the Student Union Building. Just look for the stairwell on the north side of the sub across from Gage Towers, or search for the UBC Bike Kitchen on Facebook. Stop by the Bike Kitchen, and then get riding. Become a friend of CITR and get great discounts in the Commercial Drive area at Audio Pile, Bone Rattle Music, High Life Records, and the People's Co-op Bookstore. It pays to be a friend of CITR. To learn more, come visit us in room 233 of the sub on UBC campus or check us out online at citr.ca. cities do we want to live in? How do we want our cities to be? Cannot be divorced from the question of what kind of people we want to be. Join me, your host, Andrew Longhurst, every Tuesday at 5 p.m. for The City, an hour dedicated to critical discussions of urban issues. Live on CITR 101.9 FM and CITR.ca. For more info, visit thecityfm.org. What are you, you were just saying that you have four K sounds. Yeah, if you learn how to shame, you can sound like a raven. Can you, can you, can you give us a demonstration well, of the K Well, the first sounds? one is just your regular K, which is ka. Ka. And then we have another one where we have little 
aspirated stomp, I guess you call it. Ah. 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 Hey, you have to try it too, Lizzie. Ah. 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 So you push Good your radio. tongue up toward the back of the roof of your mouth to hold the air in. And then release it. <laughs> well, the third K is ka. Ka. Like you got a hairball and you're trying to get it out. Ka. And then you take that pinch sound and line under it and you add it, put them together and you come up with ka. So that's ka, 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 ka. So now you can sound like a raven, right? My my mouth is uh, not happy with having to do that. I, it's, I'm kind of sore now. It's well, muscles actually, I don't know you, if I have yet. When you start learning other languages, one of the things you need to do is watch a person's face. Mm-hmm. When I started learning German, I started learning it because I wanted to meet the girls. I was a sailor, you know, your brief encounter. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, watching the faces as to how the faces move when you're pronouncing words. Your face gets tired and the muscles that you don't use, you know, for speaking, then they get tired too. I can already feel that actually in my uh-huh. in my tongue. Me too. I'm trying to do it. Um, so that is Woody Morrison. He is uh, all over community radio in Vancouver, and we're really happy to have him here at CITR today. And he is a uh, storyteller with the Haida Nation and with the whole nation. I like to think. Um, and then. Uh, he is also part of the Vancouver Society of Storytelling. He is their president and representative. And we also have Lizzie Karp, who is the co-founder of the Rain City Chronicles, which I actually got to see for the first time the other day at the Olio Festival. Part Rain City, part Ghost Jail. Yes, it was um, uh, one of the first ex- experimental shows that we've done. Rain City has been around since 2009 and we produce uh, regular live storytelling shows that feature um, local people, a diverse lineup of people with true stories and also some local music. And for the Oleo Festival, because it's such a fun, experimental and supportive group of people running it, um, we decided to um, split our show with our friends at Ghost Jail Theatre, who are an amazing improv troupe and they're really influenced by storytelling. So I think it was a, a match made in heaven. Now, I know Woody has been telling stories since he was a child. You told me at the um, at the Bill Reed Art Gallery about how you first learned to listen and observe before you started to tell stories. Yeah, um, it, it's a whole process. It's not just, uh, you know, people assume that what we did was we just sat and listened to him tell stories. But I was three years old when my grandfather took me to the old men so that he, I didn't realize I'd been chosen to be one of the ones to learn and when I would sit down the old man would say in Haida which means sit down dear boy I'm going to show you something and then he would say prepare yourself and so there was a way in which we'd slouch, sort of slouch down. And I've actually used this technique in a, in a dental chair. <laughs> yeah, I had 15 crowns done without any Novocaine. Oh, my goodness. But but except in the dental chair, you keep your eyes open and, and just let your eyes focus. I mean, look at the ceiling, but don't focus. And just keep yourself relaxed and keep your hands 
way that we take this is we've taken, lace your fingers together right over about where your solar plexus is, and you could feel your heartbeat and your, your rate of breathing and slow them down. And then the mind is sort of like, we'll say, a beaker filled with uh, Fraser River water. It's full of silt. Nice and, nice and muddy. Yeah, nice and muddy. So before the light can shine through it, you have to let that settle. And so you have to clean your mind. Not clear it, but clean your mind. It means take everything else out so that it, it doesn't adulterate anything else. There's no other words in there. You just clear it. And then when you're clear, then I tell the old man, the Ishki, I'm prepared. And then he would start talking. And it was like watching a movie. In fact, the first movie I ever saw, I thought it was magic. I was about 10 years old. It was one of those cowboy and Indian movies. And we paid a dime to see it, and they had a 16-millimeter projector and a sheet pinned on the wall, and we paid a dime to see that. It was over. Our house was about a mile away, and I ran the whole distance to go home and tell my mother about it because I was seeing this something the way I would see things when those old men were telling stories. It's like you go down inside them and experience a story rather than hearing the words. And when I got a little bit older, when I would walk, it's a little over half a mile from our house to the trading post, the Heidelberg uh, Trading Company. And every day when I got there, the old man, would, one of them would say, what did you see and what did you learn? I didn't see nothing. I didn't learn nothing. And every day they would ask me the same thing. So one day I started describing what I saw. And I thought, well, uh, next day I came down. Same question. And so over a period of years of describing that same route that I walked every day, winter, summer, fall, I finally came to understand that if every day I looked to see what see what's 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 I was able to see not only what's supposed to be there, that I could see what's not supposed to be there. And so through that process of learning to observe you start watching how birds move. You watch the leaves, how they move. You see the veins on those leaves. And you start beginning to feel those truly are my relatives. All those plants are my grandmothers. And so now you begin to not only understand about nature, you understand that you are, you are nature. And so anything that happens to it is going to happen to me. Whether it's I'm going to put a pipeline here or whatever you're going to start feeling it. And so over the years of doing that, but it also kind of messes you up, <laughs> you know, because when, you know, if you're young and you're, you have a tendency to blurt out things without thinking, you might tell somebody, hey, you got long hair sticking out of your nose. <laughs> you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. You see all those things. Mm -hmm. And after a while, you just walk on by it, but... You don't miss anything. You see everything around you. And one day I was down at Granville Island, and the guy, they had signs that said, share a table, make a friend. And the guy says, man, mind if I sit down? I have a seat. And we were sitting here talking, and he kept glancing around, and he stopped, and he said, I wish I could be like everybody else. And I said, well, how was, how was that? He said, to where I can just focus on one thing at a time. He said... I can sit here and carry on a conversation while I'm watching everything else that's going on around me. 
And I told him, I said, that's a gift. Other people wish they could do that. For us, it's natural. It's something that we do. And one of the things those old men used to do is there'd be four or five sitting around, you know, talking. And this old man would be talking to me. Then he'd stop and ask, what are they talking about? He'd point to a couple of them. And I would have to repeat back what I'd heard from them or I heard from over here. So I could listen to all those different conversations all at the same time because you're not focusing on anything. It's sort of like, well, I worked in the movies, and when the first AD says, roll sound, they turn on the tape recorder, and they're not listening to anything in particular, but they hear everything. Mm -hmm. And so that's how it was. And so I would hear things, and I would see things, and record everything, and then... One of the things that Dot would start with teaching was how to run through the woods blindfolded and not fall over anything. Well, yeah, me and Lizzie do that all the time. That's oh, like yeah, Sunday night, we'll have a glass of wine, and we'll just run through the forest with our blindfold on. Well, <laughs> you know, one of the reasons I stopped drinking alcohol was, first, I, I became allergic to it. It'd make me stagger and talk funny and think I was smart. And you fall asleep at <laughs> random places. Maybe that. Maybe I'm allergic to that, too. I'm not. It makes me hilarious. <laughs> but anyway, that was the process. Mm-hmm. It went over a period of years. It wasn't just something that you sat down and listened to. it. And then when it was my turn to tell the stories, I think it was 13, the first time I did it. Mm-hmm. You know, with a, We were out at, out at a camp. In the spring, we'd go harvest a certain kind of seaweed that was around for about a month, and then it was gone. Mm-hmm. And we'd take it in sun-dry. But we were all on the beach at night, and you know, out one of the old village sites, a place called Kaigani. Kaigani. And uh, we were sitting around the fire, and this old man says, Go ahead, Guna. You know, go ahead, dear boy. And I was a little bit afraid, So, but but they taught me some of the some of the little tricks that you can do one was if you take some sand and a couple of small rocks in your palm of your hand and you squeeze them and move them. Well, radio shows used to do that. They would use uh, boxes Fully. of cornstarch yeah. to make it sound like someone walking in the snow. Well, you take those rocks, and it, and it takes a while to learn how to do it, but you can make it feel like somebody's sneaking up on you. Mm-hmm. you can't, it's almost subliminal. So I started doing that. And one of the boys of my age, he was sitting quite a ways away from the fire. And it was really funny. I wanted to laugh because I'd see him moving closer and closer <laughs> to the fire. His thing is sneaking up on him. But after I, but what they would do is one man would send me to talk to one of the other old men and say, now I want you to show him what I showed you. If I made one mistake, it didn't matter if they'd been telling, we'd been going in this circle like this for two or three years. If I made a mistake, I had to go all the way back to the beginning and start again. Wow. And so it was very, um, I, would, I, I can't think of the English word right now, but it, 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 was, it wasn't something that was done lightly. It mm-hmm. was made sure that when I, when I pass it on, I could tell it so that other people would experience it. And the problem is that when I start writing it, I start forgetting it. Well, that's one of the things that we're going to be talking about. Um, So Woody and Lizzie are going to be joining me on Sunday, and we're going to be talking about orality and literature and just kind of poking a little bit around in the idea of oral culture versus literary culture, a little bit about kind of um, 
oral culture that has existed as literature has developed. And one of the reasons I really wanted Lizzie on the panel were a couple of things that actually Woody talked about, um, one of which was this real sense of connection and community to your surroundings and to each other. And these storytelling series like The Moth, The Flame, and The Rain City Chronicles have been this real resurgence in youth getting together and, and telling stories and um, preparing themselves to you know connect with other people in the room. And having experienced that on... Uh, on during the Olio Festival um, with three three stories, um, Lizzie, I thought you could tell us a little bit about your kind of introduction to oral culture, whether it is something that's always been with you or if it's something that's recent, and then how that kind of brought you to making Rain City Chronicles. Yeah, of course. Um, like Woody, I have always been enamored by storytelling and the way it connects. Um, and that's everything from a book as a, a kid to um, learning how to connect with people at university by telling the story about where I was born and raised in Salt Lake City, Utah, which is a better story than just an assumption. And um, when I moved to Vancouver from Toronto, I was very into um, to radio, actually, and really noticing the resurgence of storytelling with um, Canadian shows like DNTO and NPR-produced shows like This American Life. But those stories weren't stories that I would find or was hearing. I was really interested in, I like to call it the kitchen party effect. Mm -hmm. When you're at a, a party and someone has a great... Um, Quitting, quitting a job story and uh, they launch into it and two seconds later you're going naturally around the circle. Everyone has a great quitting story, whether it's your own, your brother's, your mom's. You've, you, you, we collect these stories and we, we kind of, um, we steam them in our brains. It's like a, a mind tumbler blog where <laughs> we tag them all and I thought, okay, there's something here and I'm obviously very aware of of lots of different live storytelling nights. There's many in Vancouver, which is so exciting. But I really wanted to stick to having a night um, that was very focused on um, putting together like a very nice mixtape, a diverse range of voices from diverse people. Some you might know, some you won't. And the, the real connection is the theme. The Holio Show, Second Chances was the theme. Mm -hmm. And all of the stories were different. They were from peeing your pants to having this gorgeous moment in a, a downtown east side country bar. And um, all the nights, the emotion really ranges from um, anger and intimacy to just laughing your face off. Um, and the first uh, Rain City Chronicle show was in 2009 at the Little Mountain Theater in Mount Pleasant, and there were 75 people there. And uh, we had a show last Friday at the Vancouver Playhouse, and there were 600 people there. So um, it's a format that can really extend to large crowds, small crowds. And um, the storytelling community in Vancouver, again, is so ripe that um, it's... I'm really enjoying the experience being sort of a, a youthful organizer, but who respects all types of voices. We are almost out of time. Um, what you said about kind of the performance aspect reminded me of something Woody said about um, about 
like when you bring or maybe yeah I, you know just talking about like storytelling in a in a intimate like family or community setting versus a performance and then there was a, another comment that that it reminded me of with uh Sirish Rao who is also going to be joining us on Sunday and he was talking a little bit about what happens when you bring something that's cultural and community oriented and like is supposed to be not supposed to be but rather is generally between interpersonal and putting it on the stage and uh, you know you take a cultural dance that is supposed to be like a bunch of people after they just built a barn getting drunk and dancing and you put it on a stage and it doesn't really have the same effect so th- those are the types of, of questions we're going to be talking about on Sunday at the Word on the Street Festival that's actually happening from September 28th to the 30th they're expanding it with the main day still being on Sunday the 30th and uh, please check out wordonthestreet.ca slash Vancouver uh, because there are you know festivals going on all across the country and at 3 p.m. downstairs in the library we will be talking about orality and literature at the tell me a story orality and literature in a textual world Uh, and that will be presented by the arts report and it will be uh, my guests, Lizzie and Woody, as well as Sirish Rao from the Indian Summer Festival and Candace James, who is the Poet Laureate of New Westminster. And Woody is going to be um, sharing some more stories and telling about his experience as a storyteller. Sirish will be talking about publishing oral histories and oral styles in picture books from Tara Books in India. Candace will be talking about performing uh, poetry and what that has brought to her writing. And then Lizzie will be telling us, uh, hopefully she'll be telling us her Utah story as well as a little bit more about developing um, her series so I'd like to thank uh, Woody and Lizzie for joining us today as well as Isolde and Baron, Nicole Kai and the little clip from Sarah Bino um, if you uh, are interested in the uh, storytelling event it is free The whole word on the street situation is free. And all day there are great shows uh, happening. Uh, Sean Cranberry from CJSF will be doing hosting two panels and memoir writing if that's something that interests you. Uh, You can meet authors. You can learn about various writing styles and different forms of books and magazines. But we will be part of the unwritten word or word talks element that they're adding this year with their expanded format and I think that it is great that a book and magazine fair is still keeping an eye out for the amazing oral culture that is still happening um, every day every day in Vancouver um, in various ways and around the world so thank you for everyone for uh, joining us this Wednesday evening and we will be back next week with more information about the Vancouver International Film Festival including uh, Binners Worst Day Ever and uh, I'm very much looking forward to speaking to Dorothy Woodend who is an amazing film reviewer you can find a lot of her work in the Thai among others so please join us you can find us on Facebook you can find us on Twitter. You can find us on CITR.ca. Please stick around for Discorder Radio with returning host Wade. And then after that, we will have Folk Oasis with the lovely Val. Thanks so much for being with us today. Have a very artsy evening.